Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. How are we doing this morning? Are we awake? Amen. I'm excited for today. We are starting a new series for the, the holidays, taking a break in our study in the book of Revelation. But before we jump in, I just want to say thank you again for uh, the gift. It means a lot to my wife and I, especially when I see uh, gift cards to eating establishments. And uh, it's such a blessing to uh, my midsection. And uh, so we thank you for that so much. We feel loved and appreciated and encouraged each and every week we gather together. Um, I want to encourage all of our ladies, if you don't have your tickets for the Princess Warrior Conference, uh, it's going to be a boost to your spiritual life, a boost to your emotional well-being, and it'll bond you to your sisters in Christ here in the church, those that are going. And so I want to strongly encourage you to get your tickets. And also my amazing, talented, beautiful wife is going to be singing on the worship team. And so I definitely want to go and support her. And uh, and that I know that will be a blessing to her as well. And uh, I may or may not be there this year helping uh, to occupy the founding pastor as he sits alone in his pew. I might join him as well. So you might you might see me there uh, to support. But uh, I know that's going to be an awesome time of getting recharged and encouraged. So we definitely want to encourage you to do that. So we are, I don't know if you, if you know me very well, you know that I love the holiday season. Anybody else love, just love the holiday season? Like, I get excited when the retail stores start putting out the decorations. That used to bother me, but something has changed in me where I get really excited about it, especially the Christmas decorations. Christmas is my favorite all-time holiday. Uh, it brings great joy and memories, and if you're a big baby like me, you even start to get a little sentimental. You know, you start walking by the aisle and you see maybe a decoration that reminds you of something from your childhood or something uh, that's connected to your kids if you have kids. And I start to get choked up a little bit. I I was flipping through just old pictures uh, through Facebook or on my phone the other day of pictures of my kids when they were young. And there's one of my son, Reese. He's in his Christmas pajamas and he has a candy cane and he's got it in front of his eye like he's looking through it. And it's so cute. And I just started... You know, start getting all choked up. Uh, but because something about the holidays just kind of connects uh, to my heart. And uh, I'm a fan of ugly Christmas sweaters. And, um, and so I don't know if we're going to do that this year, but we will definitely break out the ugly Christmas sweaters at our annual volunteer Christmas party. So those of you that serve will get to see me in all my glory. And uh, we, we love that. But even though there are many blessings around the holidays, it, it seems like there's so many good things that we could point to. There are also many challenges. And the holiday season is actually some of the most challenging of times throughout the year uh, that seem to come our way, especially with a culture in a, in a country where it seems like we're on the go all of the time. There's so much happening all of the time. And during the holiday seasons, what do we do but try to fit more in to an already busy schedule. And, and if you're a part of a, a family that maybe has uh, a divorced uh, relatives, where it's not just Christmas at mom and dad's house, it's Christmas at 
mom and dad's house over here and also mom and dad's house over here or Thanksgiving at multiple locations and everybody's expecting you to be there, be on time and bring a dish to pass, right? There are these expectations that we have. Then you have work, you have work parties and, and friend parties and hangouts and all these extra things that come in for uh, expectations of the holidays. We become exceptionally popular around the holidays. Did you notice that? Like everyone wants part of your time, and they also want part of your checkbook. You know, they, they want a, a gift around the holiday season. And so we have all of these different pressures coming at us uh, in our already packed out, busy lives. And we go to great lengths to try to meet the demand, meet the expectations, and, and, and please all the people in our lives by adding more and more obligations to our schedule. And it tends to work against the joy of the season, and it can often make some of the holiday season a burden. Matter of fact, there are many who go through the holidays overwhelmingly burdened. Some even say, state the stats that the holiday season is actually the highest points of suicide in many times. Because there's a depression, there's an oppression that seems to be uh, hanging around during the holiday season. You know, for, for many of us, we have these burdens that work against really robbing us of the joy that Jesus came to give us. And, and for some of us, that, that stress seems to skyrocket more so maybe than for others. Because all year long, mentally and emotionally, we're just running on fumes. And then when we get to the holiday season, it's like, wham, even more expectation. According to this article on BetterUp.com, this is an awesome article that kind of explains what happens really to overwhelm us during the holidays. They cite that the seven most common factors in mental exhaustion, and that's really what is a challenge for many of us, and, and it is for me, that, that we are battling mental exhaustion and we don't even recognize it. We don't even know it. And so when the burdens increase, the expectations increase, it causes us to get to that breaking point where we just fall apart. But the, the, the seven most common factors contributing to mental exhaustion, one is chronic stress. The most frequent cause of mental exhaustion is chronic stress. It keeps your brain and body on high alert all of the time. You're constantly on high alert, and that begins to wear away at your well-being. It begins to uh, degrade your sense of well-being. It can lead to empathy or compassion fatigue. You ever get to that place where you're just tired of people's problems, and you really don't care anymore? You're like, call someone else, please. I don't give a rip. You know, it's just like, ah, right? Right? We get to that place. Like, we're going to be talking about some stuff, and I hope you see some of yourself in here. Because we often fly by the seat of our pants and ignore this stuff. And so we wonder why we're breaking down, we're an emotional wreck, and we have no idea why. It's because of uh, this, this issue. So we have chronic stress. It becomes difficult to muster emotional responses in order just to, constr uh, to constrain the, the stress. Then we have uncertainty. The uncertain reality that we don't know what's going to happen, we have no control, and we can't get a grip on it. And this has increased since COVID, when, when everything was shut down, and now it's like the world could end at any time, and we don't know what's going to happen. We've, we're facing World War III with Russia and all this craziness worldwide, and then even locally. And, and this works against the way our body was designed to handle stress. We have like that fight-or-flight syndrome. 
you know, where, where you're in a, a, a crisis moment and some people naturally will run and some people will naturally fight, like if you're backed in a corner. And some of us will fight as we're running. I don't know how, how that works. But, but we're kind of wired this way. Well, uncertainty works against that fight or flight because we're designed to respond in small increments of time but uncertainty keeps us in that state where we don't know how to respond and we're constantly mentally and emotionally struggling to figure it out. And so it adds stress and creates exhaustion in our, in our, with our minds, with our emotions. Then we have work stress. Work stress, it can take many forms. As values are mismatched, there's difficulty managing tasks and priorities. If you're in a high demand or a risk-oriented job, that can elevate your stress at work. Um, some jobs or, or programs of study, if you're a student, involve a lot of new learning, which can add stress. And it also requires processing and making sense of a lot of information, which creates stress. And our brains are only wired to handle so many new facts at a time. That, that's why many people just cram for tests, because it's hard to hold on to all that information, you know, like all, all month long or however long you're in the unit. And so you have this stress in your mind. Number four is probably the most difficult one, I think, is family issues. How many of you know that when you've got issues in your family, everything else is harder? It's harder. When you've got, uh, like, you have issues with your spouse, like, I don't know, like, when my wife and I aren't good, nothing's good. I don't care if I would win a million dollars, I'd be depressed about it. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it just wouldn't, I couldn't find the joy, you know, so when you have family issues, it makes everything else exponentially more difficult. Then you have juggling multiple commitments in addition to your family or, or you know, when I, when I describe our schedule to some people, I think it gives them a nervous breakdown. You're like, how do you do that? I was like, I don't know. I guess God is really, you know, with us because we'd fall apart any other way. So you have multiple commitments. You have emotional stresses, things that cause emotional stress, uh, constant negative feelings or events make it difficult to relax. And then also number seven is poor self-care. Usually because of all this other stuff, we don't find time or take time to take care of ourselves, whether it be living a healthier lifestyle or, or breaking away and, and doing things that can help us process all the difficult issues in our lives. And, and what the, this stuff does as we go without handling it or addressing it, it begins to break down, you know, our sense of well-being, and we begin to kind of reveal different symptoms. There's emotional symptoms. You know, some of you may have a sense of languishing or a lack of purpose in your life. You might have moodiness or irritability, getting easily annoyed with other people, cynicism, doubt, or pessimism, a persistent feeling that something bad is about to happen, feeling constantly feeling overwhelmed or stressed, or even depression, anxiety, or even suicidal thoughts can be a result of this mental exhaustion. And if you're dealing with suicidal thoughts, one, you need to come forward for prayer because our God is an amazing, wonder-working God. And two, we need to get you connected with a counselor that you can process things with because your life is valuable, it's important, and God does not want you considering that option. Number two, we have physical symptoms. These are a result of mental uh, fatigue, mental fatigue, physical symptoms, sleep disturbances, changes in your sleep pattern. Either you're sleeping too little or you're not sleeping enough. Um, or you're sleeping way too much. 
as a sign of a depression. Headaches, body aches, or chronic muscle tension. Changes in your appetite. Some exhibit stomach issues and digestive uh, upset. Unexplained or frequent colds, believe it or not. High blood pressure or irregularities in your heart rate. Or some physical manifestations of being mentally exhausted. And then lastly, we have behavior symptoms, like an inability to sit still or difficulty relaxing. Have you ever felt like that, where, like, you're on vacation? We were, we were, we were up north, and we were at this campground, and I just remember, like, sitting by the fire. We're right on the lake. It's like, it's, uh, the sun's going down. The sky's beautiful. The fire's there. You know, it's just this serene picture, and I'm sitting in the camp chair, and I can't relax. I'm just like, I feel like there's something I got to do, right? That's a sign of being mentally exhausted. Isolating yourself from other people. You might be mentally fatigued. A sense of going through the motions. You're just getting through. Or lashing out at friends, coworkers, or loved ones. Self-medicating through the use of alcohol, drugs, or other things like video games, excessive work, physical activity. Exhaustion at work or trouble completing tasks. You just, you can't get your stuff done. And lastly, an out-of-character lifestyle change, uh, changes, like increased risk-taking behavior, because you're just trying to find some way to feel different. You know, you might, you might hear some of these things and be like, man, that's me, or man, that's me. That might be a sign you got issues. And we all do. We all got them. Because all have sinned and all fallen short of the glory of God. We live in a broken world, right? But there are remedies, there are things that God has designed, divinely given us to help so that the calendar chaos doesn't rob us of our joy in the holiday season and really all throughout the year. You know, we, we wrestle with these issues and because of an underlying medical condition, you might try to find a new way to treat it, but really we, we just haven't found the source, which is an unhealthy, balanced life. And one of the most common ways we try to self-medicate usually is with remedies that, that don't help us at all, but actually inflame the situation. In all of our attempts to overcome stress, the way we try to handle and be more productive, arise to expectations without becoming completely unglued, what we usually discover is the truth of Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2, is that most of the things we do don't help us anyway. Psalm 127, this is the psalmist writing. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. I love that phrase. Eating the bread of anxious toil. He says, for he gives to his beloved sleep. What's he saying? He's saying, unless God has led you, he has designed and called you for this specific task, all your effort to try to accomplish it and be successful is a waste of your time. And if you try to do it anyway, you're going to eat the bread of anxious toil. You're going to break down. Unless the Lord orders or directs, he won't enable you to accomplish, and all your effort is going to go to waste. And here's the kicker. He says, to his beloved, he gives sleep. He gives rest. 
The rest you forego, the sleep you forego, staying up later to get it done, waking up earlier to make it happen, the sleep and the rest you forego is a gift you're forsaking of the Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house. See, God didn't wire us to be on the go 24-7, even though our nation is wired to be on the go. Our cell phones require us to be available 24-7. Sometimes I wish we went back to the old rotary dial telephones, where they were connected by a 15-foot extension cord, springy cord on the wall, and you had to drag it to the other room to get some privacy. Sometimes I just wish we went back to the way it used to be. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, God gives us the example of how we should orient our lives. And this is, revolves around what is called the Sabbath day or the Sabbath rest. As God speaks everything, think of the brilliance of creation. That what we discover with nanotechnology, if, if you're not a nerd like me and like to think about these kinds of things, I would encourage you just for a day, go investigate what's been discovered scientifically when it comes to nanotechnology, the infinite reality of the micro and the small that we found on, on the molecular level will blow, so blow your mind. It, it's like going into a new dimension and then a new dimension and then a new dimension and then a new dimension. It's infinite. And it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Anybody see the movie Ant-Man? You know how he goes into the... the that universe where he gets so small and he goes into the universe. Talk about that times infinity. It's incredible what God has created and what God has made. And then go larger and go into the universe, into the solar system, and see everything that has to be precisely in place just for life to exist on the planet. And he did it in six days. Can you imagine? Like, his power is infinite. His, the Bible says he's got everlasting arms. He never sleeps or slumbers. Yet, after day six, on day seven, in Genesis 2-2, it says he rested from all of his work. This word rested, this day, this Sabbath day, is important. When God set up the nation of Israel and he gave them the law in Exodus 20, verse 8, he tells them something very important. He says, remember to observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That day was is Saturday. It's the seventh day of the week. And it was the day that they were to not do any work so they could rest. And it mirrored God's creation and his rest after he created all of life. And he says, remember to observe this. Keep it holy. Keep this day unlike every other day. You have six days to work just like I did to accomplish everything you need. On the seventh day, you need to rest. It's called the Sabbath. The word Sabbath doesn't just mean rest. It means to cease from work. Now, many of us, when we think of taking a Sabbath, even going on vacation, how many of you are guilty of being on vacation but still having your laptop doing work while you're on the beach? You know, like, like we take a rest, but it's really the day to catch up on all the housework that we've forsaken the rest of the week. Like, it's not even really rest. And so God knew this, and this is why he told them in, in the Sabbath to keep it holy, he gave them rules of things they couldn't do and things they could do on the Sabbath day because he knew their propensity of human beings is to continue to go and accomplish and strive in our own strength, which causes burnout and mental exhaustion. 
So the Sabbath day is not just a day of rest where we get to do what we want. It's a day of ceasing from activity, setting aside a day to rest from our works, our obligations, and other people's expectations. And enjoy God and the people in your life. And God wanted the Israelites to understand the importance of the Sabbath, which is more than a single day. Many don't know this, but there were more than one Sabbath day. In Exodus 31, 13, as God's giving them the law, he says to Moses, you're to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my, what's that say? Sabbath. It's plural. And he's not just talking about every Saturday of the week. There were Sabbath days ascribed to holidays and feasts. And so when they observed a holiday, when they came together for a holiday or these special uh, feasts that the nation would observe, it also included a Sabbath, a rest, because the holiday season is not just a time where we do festival things or festive things. It's a time we rest and rejoice in the goodness of God. And so one of the, the principles here is that the holiday season is not supposed to be a time of busyness. It's supposed to be a time of rejoicing in the goodness of the Lord. Now the Jews, they took this principle to an extreme. And many times as Jesus was doing miracles, he would do miracles on the Sabbath. In their religious mind, they, they were upset about that because they're like, you're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. And Jesus said something very specific as he's correcting their theology in Mark 2.27 he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So what he's saying is, is like, God didn't give you the Sabbath to curse you, to make you do something to please him. He gave you the Sabbath to help you because you need it. You need it. In your flesh, you're going to try to keep going, but as your creator, I know what you need, and you need time to rest. You need time to recharge. Sabbath is a gift, not a curse. The Israelites, when they were going through the desert in the Old Testament, as they were wandering before they get into the promised land, God's given them these laws. He would feed them by giving them manna. And he would feed them every day. Every day he was faithful. The manna would be on the ground. They would go collect what they needed for the day. They'd have their food for the day. And then the next day they'd go out and collect it again. And in regarding the Sabbath, he told them, don't go out and collect on the seventh day. You're not to go work to provide for yourself. You are to rest. And if you do this, you'll be blessed. And on day six, I'll give you twice as much so that you, when you gather, you have enough not just for Friday, but you also have enough for Saturday. You'll have twice as much. God knew how he created us and that we needed this this rest, that we needed this extra. And the principle of rest is that when we take time to rest, as God designed, we'll be more productive the rest of the days than we're able to be whenever we just try to push ourselves all through life and through the rest of the time. It's kind of like the tithe. Whenever um, you know, we talk about tithing, God asks us to give the first 10% of our income to him in faith. And he'll bless the rest of the 90 and the truth is, and, and I'm living proof of this, I've got testimony after testimony, that God can do more with your 90 than you can do with your 100. And I can't afford not to give because there's some things God's done in my life that if I hadn't been faithful and him worked some things out, we'd still be suffering from those circumstances. 
So when they would go out to harvest, if they went out on the Sabbath day to harvest their food, they wouldn't find food there. It was wasted effort. And they brought a curse on themselves. And often when we're working, not from a place of rest and peace in the Lord, but we're working from a place of mental exhaustion, what are we doing other than cursing every area of our life to be impacted in a negative way? And God doesn't want his people to be cursed. He wants them to be blessed. And so he enabled the people and us today by creating space in your schedule to rest. It really does two things. Number one, it allows you to recharge and heal from the previous anxieties and toils of the week. And number two, it shows your dependence on God to give you what you need to be successful. So when we don't Sabbath, when we don't observe a time of rest, we are in essence taking God's place in our life as provider and we're becoming our own functional savior. We got this. We can do it. I've got enough strength. I've got enough wisdom. I know better than God. And But what we get, even if we have a little marginal success, is mental breakdown, burnout. And then that's emotional breakdown and then physical breakdown. And what we're really talking about today is a, an antidote to calendar chaos is really building margin in your life. Margin simply means an amount by which a thing is won or falls short to a measure or degree of difference, or an amount of something included so as to be sure of success or safety. It's, if you think about being in school and you have to get a notebook, a spiral notebook paper, it's not just lines across the paper, but there's what? There's a margin. Go ahead and throw the first image on the screen. Why do you think they give us margin whenever we're writing? Well, it's for several reasons. For one, if you're writing something important and you make a mistake and you need to change the information, you have nowhere to cross out and write the extra information. Or if you're reading something, you're studying something, and something stands out to you as, as important and you want to remember it, there's no room on, in the margin to add that information to help you remember. As well as you can't, if you don't have proper margin, you can't fit everything that you want to and have it be legible and be readable. If you were to try to read this, you wouldn't get the context of what's being said because you don't see all the information because it's outside the margin. In dealing with graphic design, any graphic designers in here? Anybody like doing stuff on like, you know, online or, or you know, for YouTube or social media? You like do, was it Canva or any of those other sites? Anybody do any any? Printing like that? No one? I'm just the only weirdo in here? Okay. Well, often we have to buy t-shirts, like we design t-shirts and, and, and banners for our church and our ministry. Whenever you go to order things from a printer, they will give you margins. They'll give you a template to follow and margins because if you don't have that, then you aren't able to get the item printed the way that you foresaw it. We go ahead and throw up the next picture. It might come out like this. You might have a partial picture because the image was outside the margin. You're not able to see the full picture because of going past the margin or the boundary that was set up for the image. But if we kept it within the margin, then we could see the full picture. Right? Building margin into your life is just like this. Sometimes we're so overrun 
We can't handle all the information coming our way, all the experiences, all the issues, and we don't have the space to step back and see the real picture, the full picture of what's going on. And so being overrun, no wonder we're, we're breaking down and we're falling apart is because we can't get a full God's eye picture of what our lives are really like. Now, the Sabbath or this margin, these times of rest, it's not for you to build religious rules or to please God. Again, it's a gift God wants to give you. Paul in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 as he's writing to the church, he says, Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies, or what? Or Sabbaths. Why, do, why in the New Testament are we not obligated to observe Saturday, Sabbath day? It's because Jesus fulfilled the law. He lived per perfectly. His sacrifice fulfilled everything God expected. And our righteousness is not in following the rules. It's in believing in him. So we're righteous because he's righteous. So we find our righteousness in him. So it's not a law that you have to rest on Saturday. But there is still a gift that God gives you when you do observe times of rest to have greater balance in your life. So this is not mandatory, but like anything God asks us uh, to do, it will become a blessing and it will help you fulfill the very thing Jesus said he came to give you, and that is an abundantly blessed life. A life overflowing. And give you hope, as this is a small sample of the rest that he wants to bring in eternity. Like the reason why they were to rest on Sabbath is not just for physical things here on earth, but it represented the true rest coming when Jesus returns and we enter into eternity. Where we rest from our labors forever and ever and ever. Can you imagine living a stress-free life forever? No more stress. Like, man, that alone would be great. Well, that's what Jesus is going to bring. And so the times of rest are like that snapshot. It's that glimpse of a future fulfillment of when Jesus is going to come back and bring this in, in, into our lives, everyday life. And so we get the, those little glimpses of glory. And so I want to give you just some practical steps on how you can begin building margin in your life because you're probably some of you are probably like me when you look at your life and you think man how can I build a day of rest into my life you're probably thinking there is no way in God's creation that I can build a day of rest in my life I've got too much going on too many demands too much obligation so I'm going to give you a couple of practical things you can begin doing to find the space really make the space in your life the first thing that you need to determine as an individual is your priorities. What is the most important thing to you? As an individual, especially if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a believer, there are some things that should be in priority in your life and in a, uh, in a list of priorities in your life. First and foremost is God Almighty. In Psalm 63, verse 1, it says, O God, thou art my God, and what? Early will I seek thee. Early will I seek thee. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm going to make time for God in the beginning of my day. I'm going to 
early am I going to seek you? How many of us just try to fit God in throughout the day? And how well does that go? And, and how well are we going to invest in our time with God when we're just trying to fit him in in those little drive-by prayers like over lunch or over dinner? Dear God, thank you for the food. Don't let it kill me. Amen. You know, we, we do these drive-by prayers. We do these drive-by, like, literally, if all you're getting with God is the five-minute daily bread devotional, you are starving spiritually. You're starving. But this is what we're doing. Oh, God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. Why? My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. What's he talking about? He's talk, talking about time alone in prayer and in, in Bible study and hearing from God. God needs to be first in your day, first in your time, first in your life. Why? Because everything else flows from your relationship with God. If your relationship with God is out of place, everything else is going to be out of sync. Everything else. And listen, none of us are perfect. We're all broken people. We all have problems. Every one of us have problems. The, depending on how many problems you have and how severe they are, it depends on where your priorities fall. You can either have God with you or God against you. And if you're like me, I want God with me. Right? Who is not for me is against me is what Jesus said. So let God be for us and then no one can be against us. Amen? Amen. So if this is out of order, everything else is going to be. So as a, a follower of Christ, as an individual person, determine your priorities. Number one is God. Number two is your immediate family. What I mean by immediate family is if you're a husband and wife, you two are number one and number two. Your kids are number three. Right? The Bible says a man shall leave his father and mother, cling to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. In-laws are now outlaws. Their opinion on your life and on your family means nothing compared to you and your spouse. That's biblical. If your mother-in-law or your father-in-law have more influence on you than your spouse, you need to repent. You do. Because it's dysfunctional. It's not biblical. So you and your spouse, you're number one and number two, and your kids are number three. Well, think, you know, especially in ministry, we struggle with this. Well, what about the ministry? Yeah, God's called me to be a minister, but this church may not be here in 10 years. My kids will. My family continues on. People come and go in churches. We know this. Like, I've been, a, I've been a member of several churches. I'm not still there. If the pastor determined his entire ministry on my well-being, he'd be up a creek. Right? So your family, your unit, is second in importance to your relationship with God. And then number three is your church, your ministry. Why? Because you don't just go to church. You are the church. You're not just attending a ministry. You're in ministry if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You're an ambassador of God. You're the priesthood of the believer. Your role is your call, and that's your identity. And often we get this out of sync. We put work before ministry. I'm sorry. Ministry happens at work if you're a child of God. Your ministry is number three in importance. Your relationship with God, your immediate family, your church, then your occupation. Why? Because that funds everything else. Like Paul even tells us over and over again in the New Testament, I worked hard, I worked with my hands. Why? So that I could do the things God's called me to do. Your work ethic, your, your occupation, that takes the next in priority. Then 
number five is your extended family, friends, and your hobbies. Hanging out, all the extra stuff. If this stuff is out of order, your life is dysfunctional. It will be perfectly dysfunctional. You need to decide what's important. Just shifting your priorities to the place of importance for many of us will free up some time. It'll free up some time. Number two, as a family, you need to decide, are you a Christian family or are you a secular family? We had this conversation in my house this past week. Because as a secular family, the word secular means without God. A secular family does not regard God and its decisions, its priorities, its wants, or its desires. A Christian family has God at its center. You need to decide what's, what you're going to be. Are you going to let the world dictate your life, or are you going to let God dictate your life? And what's important to you as a family? I pray you decide you're going to be a Christian family. If you do, you need to know what's important to a Christian family, like gathering for worship at home and with the church, praying together and for one another, studying the Word of God, learning the Word of God together, growing in the Lord together, being generous, giving not just to the church, but to people in need, people that are in your life, blessing other people. Family time is important, investing in your relationships together. Mom going out with the kids, dad going out with the kids, and vice versa. Mom and dad having dates together, working on your relationship, those are biblical things, and those are vitally important. Collective family togetherness, right? This takes intentional planning. You don't just, this doesn't just happen. You have to plan for these things. You have to make them important. Your priorities will determine how you invest your time. I love this quote, you can make life happen or you can let life happen to you. So here's some philosophical tips on building margins. Some things that, these catchy phrases that, that always tend to encourage me or help me keep things in line when, when I think about them. But again, because when your priorities are out of line, you're going to lose margin, you're going to blur lines, your boundaries are going to be shattered. So here's some things that will help you as they help me, and I pray they're an encouragement to you. Number one, not every emergency is your emergency. How many of us take on the burdens of other people all of the time? We feel it, right? They're, having, they're, they're freaking out, and we feel like, man, what, what do we got to do? Like, let's, don't jump when people put on urgent pressure because they will cause you to compromise your priorities. Their emergency isn't necessarily your emergency, right? Don't take on other people's burdens if you don't have the margin to do it. Like, we need to remember this. There's only one Savior. His name's Jesus Christ. If someone has a problem, I thought that was good. Art thought that was good. Anybody want to throw out an amen? You know, don't take on their problems, if someone's falling apart, and that's not your job. You're not Jesus. It's not your job to go rescue every hurting soul, or else you're never going to get anything done. We're all broken. We all got stuff, right? You need to know what your priorities are so that you don't compromise the margin that God has given you for a blessing in your life. You can share in other people's burdens if you have the margin for it. 
All right? This is something that I struggle with. Helping doesn't always require doing. Helping might mean finding someone who can help. Because there are some people that can do what you can't do and have time to do it. And that's okay. That doesn't mean you're not helping. That's the best way you can help, that you've got the margin to give. Again, other people's priorities are not your priorities. One of the greatest weapons the devil has is the weapon of distraction. And he will use anyone and anything to pressure you from getting focused on the wrong thing and what God does not have for you to focus on in the moment. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 he, again, people pressure is some of the hardest pressure. In Galatians chapter 1.10, Paul says, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Think about what he's saying. He's like, if I live my life trying to please people, then God's not my number one priority. That doesn't mean we don't help people. That just means... I'm not moved by the dictates of what people want from me. I'm moved by the dictates of what God wants from me. And sometimes what God wants from me is different than what people want from me. And when it's different, sorry, God wins, not people. And I'm not apologetic about it. I'm not sorry for it. God wants me to date my wife. I'm sorry, you only Friday night's the only night you can meet with me. Find a different night. I mean, that's just the way it is. Find a different night. Your priorities are your priorities. Check your priorities and your calendar before committing to an obligation. Does it align with what's important to you, your family, etc.? Again, do you have time for it? Can you make time for it without compromising your priorities? I heard a, a pastor one time in a leadership conference uh, as he was talking about the, you know, how leaders, they want to do everything they can for everyone. But he says, you don't have time for that. And so he has this little catchphrase. He says, do for one that you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one that you wish you could do for everyone. You can't meet everybody's needs, but when you have the opportunity, meet the needs of th this person and be okay with it, all right? If you don't plan to rest, you won't. If you don't plan to rest, you won't. Get it on the calendar. And don't budge unless you have room to reschedule it. If you don't plan to rest, you're not gonna. It's just the way it is. Calendars fill up, obligations happen. And this one that I've had to struggle with in different ways, but learn the power of no because it amplifies the power of your yes. Learn the power of no because it amplifies the power of yes. What does that mean? That means you can be so stretched telling everybody yes to everything that you're really not good for much. In the church world, the ministry world, they talk about having too many ministries that your church can handle. There's, there's a burden and a need everywhere, and if you try to meet them all, you might do a lot of things halfway decent, but not very many things very well. We get overstretched, we get overrun. The same is true in life. If you say yes to everything, you have blurred boundaries, your margins are full, and you don't have the room that you need. When you say no to things, especially that don't align with your priorities and your time, guess what happens? You become more invested. You become more present with your yes. You're not exhausted. You're not halfway there. You're not half listening in the conversation. You're able to fully invest in what you are doing at the time.
Now, these are great things that will help you build. And just by implementing things, you'll find extra room. When you identify your priorities and you're like, nope, that doesn't meet my priority, guess what? That doesn't take up your time. So you're able to do the things that God has put before you. But a warning of caution, because again, we're all jacked up, sinful human beings. Don't use margin as an excuse to become self-centered and self-focused. There is a flip side to margin. Introverts really struggle with this more so because our greatest pleasure is being alone in a room with no one else around. Give me a book, give me a hot tub, leave me alone. All right, let's put some soft music on. Let me pretend like I'm the last person on the planet and I am great, right? Oh, I need me time. It's margin time. I got to get in my margin, right? We can often get so self-focused that we don't make time for other people, which is also not biblical. If we were to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, guess how that's lived out? By loving our neighbor as ourselves. So it takes people also in our lives to live out what God calls us for uh, us to do. So there is a balance to this. As a Christian family who's loving God with all their heart, you're also loving your neighbor. So build into your margin room for other people. Room to be engaged with other people, especially as it pertains to building the kingdom of God, sharing Jesus, inviting people to church, making those connections. And when we have our priorities straight, when we have them in place, the holiday season is not going to feel so chaotic. The invites to the parties, the obligations are going to arise. But again, before making these commitments, before stretching ourselves too thin, taking on extra burden that leads to burnout, the way to get most out of your special moments, to have the mental capacity to not only enjoy the moments but help others enjoy the moments, is having that Sabbath rest and living out of a place of rest and peace the way God designed. So just to recap, as we are going through the season, as we invite our prophetic team forward, as we are going to close with a time of prophetic ministry, decide what kind of person, what kind of family you're going to be. And what does that mean for what is important or in priority to you? What's important to you? What do you need to start saying yes to as a child of God, as a Christian family, and what do you need to start saying no to as a child of God and as a Christian family? Don't feel bad about saying no to good things as long as you're fully investing your yes in better things. Take time to rest and recharge so that your body can heal, your mind can heal, you can gain perspective that you can unplug and unwind. And when you're living in that place of peace and rest, the burden of the holidays will decrease as our joy increases, as chaos turns into calm, and we see the fruitfulness that God wants to pour out in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the holiday season. We thank you for all the special moments that are coming. And God, we thank you for the reminder that when we're feeling stressed and overwhelmed, it's really a sign that our priorities are out of balance. And then when we begin with you at the first and foremost, and we live that out, investing into our most important relationships, into our calling, into our identity, and letting that inform us of what we should and shouldn't be doing, God, the room for margin will be there. And the room for Sabbath will be there. And the time to rest and recharge so that we can live out of that place of peace and not chaos, God. And that will be a way that you help us to live and experience the abundant life. 
God, I thank you for your word. I pray, God, you'd help us to set our priorities with the kingdom in mind, with our families at the forefront, that we may honor you each and every day. And I pray, God, now as the prophetic team ministers to us, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart that understands, a mind ready to believe, that you would speak, and that, God, that we'd be encouraged and built up. And all God's people said, amen. at Vertical Life Church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give.